Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. It's a Thanksgiving weekend slash Merry Christmas weekend. We're not even sure, but we're here. And I have to tell you, this is uh, the last weekend of our Be Full celebration. I'm looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to get back to preaching after uh, a few weeks off here. But uh, in many ways, I feel like we've saved the best for last this month. And I'm a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit biased in that we have uh, friends of ours here that go way, way back. And it's going to be a little bit different, but I think it's going to be something that's both interesting and inspiring. Uh, Lyle Armstrong and I met when we were in youth camp together. So littles, like, I don't know, seventh grade. We went to different churches, but the same youth camp, and we got to know each other just in passing uh, through the years there. And then when I was in Bible college, I got to know his wife, April, um, I was, I think she was a couple years behind me. I'm going to give you the benefit of being younger than me, April. And uh, we got to know, and then they got married. And very early on, they became one of our early missions partners. We were doing the math, Lyle and I were the other day. And I think the first time they were with us was in the kind of late 90s. So we're going back some 25 years ago when they were just getting started and God had called them to go to Beirut, Lebanon and to serve there. And then a couple of years later, God did something that was unique and uh, Lyle had the opportunity to uh, work on a graduate degree, a PhD at the University of Chicago in Islamic studies and a, a chance for them to explore uh, in depth the people that they were serving and ministering to and bringing the gospel of Jesus to. And uh, that led to an open door for Lyle to actually teach at the American University in Beirut. So he's got two things he's doing at the same time. They are starting, pastoring, leading a church in Beirut, Lebanon, uh, telling people about the gospel of Jesus, but also have a, a, a foot uh, in the door, a kind of a platform there at the American University in Beirut, one of the great universities in, uh, in that part of the world. And uh, we've been able to support them in that work for uh, the past years and have always enjoyed kind of following along on social media and seeing and hearing uh, what they were doing. Uh, it was last year that uh, we got a message from uh, Lyle, just one of their uh, monthly letters, just kind of giving us uh, an update. Um, and Lyle and April telling us uh, about kind of the economic struggles that were happening because of the exchange rate for the dollar and what was happening on the ground there. And they had a, a young leader that was, uh, they were growing into the role of pastor of that church, and uh, they were looking at ways to support. And this just became for us, uh, really, church, a perfect opportunity. And we haven't, um, we haven't actually talked to this, but about a year ago, uh, as a church, we stepped in to underwrite the salary support for Pastor George in leading that church for the year. And 
We knew when we did that, it just matched up to two things that really mattered to us. One, we love encouraging young leaders, man. You know it from our internship program, from our staff. We just want to be there to support the next generation in God's calling in their life. Man, there's not enough people answering the call into ministry. And man, when we see one, we just want to be a part of that. And the other thing is, we resonate as a church with their desire to take the gospel to people who haven't heard it yet. And so this was just a perfect opportunity for us to step in in support of what they were doing. And uh, we began talking, and we knew, man, this would be a great opportunity for us. And so we asked if we could bring both Lyle and April and their family, and they're all with us today, um, but also uh, Pastor George, and so we went through the process, and they were able to get a visa for him to come here to the U.S., and they're going to come this morning, and really, this is going to be both a challenge, a scriptural reminder, but very much a dialogue of Lyle and George telling the story of what God is doing there. And so, would you help me, uh, Cape Cod Church, to welcome uh, Lyle Armstrong and George Malik to our stage today. Come. Morning. I'm Lyle. This is George. We want to thank you for the invitation to be with you this morning. Uh, every invitation is a step toward unity. When we invite someone into our lives, we're saying, come join us. We want to get to know you a little bit better. And your invitation is that to us. Whenever we invite someone into our lives or into our homes or into our churches, we are reaching out and we're cre reaching across various types of boundaries in order to establish a new connection. And hopefully, especially as we do that in a congregation like this, hopefully with the objective of building uh, a greater sense of what God is doing in the world. And this is what you've done in inviting us to be with you here this morning. This extension of an invitation to us is uh, your is an indication to us of your interest in unity. Your interest in knowing what is going on in our lives and how the gospel is being spread around the world. Humans have a keen ability to read other human beings. We can read them uh, as potential friends or as potential foes, and this is something that is good. It helps to protect us, for example. But it can also morph, and unfortunately it has morphed, into all imaginable types of segregations. Because as we look at other people, we begin to see ourselves differently. And we say, these people are this way, these people are this way. And this sense that we have in ourselves, which distinguishes between different people, can serve a negative purpose in our lives can cause this type of segregation. And in doing so, that type of view, this view of segregation, can and has been used to divide, to demean, and to destroy people. Jesus said that he came to seek those who were lost. Jesus viewed the world as 
those who were his children and those who were potentially his children. We, unfortunately, see the world in other ways. We see the world politically. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't see Israelite and Roman. We see the world rich and poor. Jesus didn't see the world rich and poor. He didn't emphasize the rich or align himself with the rich and neglect the poor. Jesus didn't divide religiously. There is no difference between the Jew and the Phoenician. Jesus was interested in encouraging those around him to see the world more broadly and to not segregate and divide and categorize because what Jesus wants us to do is to unify and to be people who are unifiers, draw people together around him. And while we know that not all of his disciples understood this message correctly, and even we find in some of the churches in the first decades after the resurrection of Jesus that some of them were quite divided and were not unified, there were some churches that actually were. In Acts chapter 4, we have an example of a church in Jerusalem that was unified. The passage says in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 35, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This passage describes a group of people who saw their resources as a common good, a way of pooling what God has given to them for a specific objective, and that was to declare the gospel, as we find in verse 33. They unified their resources in order to project and, de and to declare the gospel. When I read this passage, I wonder, is it possible for us to have churches like that? When we thought about going to Beirut, April and I, we wanted to have a church like this. Our dream was to see if we could establish a congregation which challenged the traditional obstacles that we find in our world. In fact, some, type of, some categories that many people think are opposed to one another. American, Arab, Muslim, Christian, believer, atheist, church, university. These are categorizations that many people think work against one another when it comes to the faith. And we felt that we wanted to see if it's possible to build a congregation that's unified, that breaks down these obstacles. In fact, our decision to live in the area of the city that we live in, which is a predominantly Muslim city, against the advice of some of our Christian friends, was an attempt to break down some of these obstacles. Our Christian Lebanese friends who still in some ways, understandably, because of the problems of the war, they still saw this land and the city itself as being segregated. One group lived here and another group lived there, and they couldn't understand why we were living in the area that the other group lived in. Our objective, though, was to build unity. Our objective was to cross these boundaries. And this has been the goal of our ministry ever since we were last here or when we were, I should say, when we were first here in 1998. And something that has united your church and our ministry is we both have a similar goal. 
We both intend to make this congregation, your congregation, our congregations, places where people can come in and feel a unity that they don't find elsewhere. And I want to thank you for that. We all grow as believers when we understand that our material lives are to intersect with our spiritual lives. They're not distinct realms. The transformation of the gospel can be holistic in our lives if we allow it to be holistic like this early church did in Acts chapter 4. It generates a movement in doing so that shows to the world around us, here's a unified group of people who are preaching the gospel, and all of these barriers and these obstacles and these divisions that we normally think would, drop, would push people away, something is drawing them together. Part of this building of unity is finding others who understand that this is the objective of Jesus Christ. The reason why we are together is because I believe you have that objective, and we have that objective, and when you find people who are trying to achieve the same goal, we unify together. In fact, George and I came together because we had a similar objective, and he saw God working in his life as we were working in our as he was working in our lives, and this was something that drew us together around Jesus. Yes, I was, um, I was born in an evangelical family in Beirut, the smallest uh, religious minority recognized in the government. And um, growing up, my parents lived on the Christian side, but they worked and studied on the other side. And um, I remember distinctly, I was like five years old coming from high school, from high school, from elementary school and, and saying, hey, mom, dad, what's a Muslim? And my parents, gracious people, loving, caring people, they said, well, George, in this life, there are people with different belief systems. And the main difference between us Christians and Muslims is that they don't believe in Jesus as Savior. There was no bashing of the other. There was no um, we are better superiority, but it was more of there is a distinct difference, which is very important, Jesus. I didn't know, but found out later that this was not the experience of most families in Beirut. After 30 years, most families were traumatized through 30 years of war. And they had been uh, in the middle of civil wars, small wars between different people groups. Christian militias fighting Muslim militias. Muslim groups fighting each other. Christian groups fighting each other. There was an alienation. And while the war was over now, and all the roads were open, and you could drive anywhere you want, the divide was still present. It was still there in the hearts and in the people. I started to become more aware of this when I went to university. There I met a lot of people because being the quirky, odd guy that I am, I couldn't fit into one group. And um, so I had different friends in different groups and then they didn't interact with each other. Religious people from all faiths didn't want to talk to other religious people from other faiths. And even the small community of Christians and believers who were on campus they viewed the others with a bit of cynicism. Their faith was a bit different. They were different. Let's not associate with them. But in that time, God was breaking my heart for the need of people, for community. In, in my loneliness, 
Jesus was my friend. And God opened my eyes to see that he can answer the deepest needs of every person and every longing for intimacy and every longing for community. It was in our brokenness and loneliness, a group of us on campus felt that we need to do something. We need to create a Christian community in the secular university. And in that time, I met Professor Armstrong, a.k.a. Pastor Lyle, who was a pastor, and yet he was a professor in a very secular school. He guided us to create this Christian community that could exist in a secular school in a divided country. And this group started as a small community experiencing life together beautifully, and it grew into flourishing love and sharing faith in Jesus with other people around us in the community. We had one event with a Muslim group, and uh, we managed to talk about Scripture and who Jesus is and how He is the revelation to the world with them. And it was something unheard of. Graduating college, going into work life and then into church, um, serving in the local churches, I realized that this divide is present in the church as well. It's not that um, the churches were evil or that they were missing the mark. It's just this is what they have grown up in, in this culture that is divided. They just knew how to exist this way. Um, it was hard to break this cultural divide. It was hard to step out of the ordinary and cross the street and to be with the person who is different. We're not used to that. We were just attacked by them a couple of years ago. How could we cross this divide? However, some of us, like myself, like Pastor Lyle and many others, we knew that there was two-sided connections and that people were people. And having this burden was a responsibility on us to address it, to create a kingdom space where true unity could be present, to create a kingdom space that transcends segregation. Uh, people I met, people we were ministering to, um, street outreaches, uh, university young people, people in coffee shops, they were all tired of religion, the divide that religion creates. They were all tired of institutions, how institutions morph up things and glorify one individual. But they were longing for community. They were longing for fellowship with one another. It was in this place that um, people were open to discuss history and ideas, philosophy and life. What big questions everyone has, but they don't find a place to, to discuss it. It was a place they longed for where they could be themselves. They could be comfortable. They could share what's on their mind without thinking what the other person would think. And these places were rare in Beirut. They existed, but they were very rare. And having ministered with Pastor Lyle and knowing the type of work they were doing at Cedars, I knew that a person who would walk into that church would be comfortable to share and to live life. And not to be just welcomed, but also to be ministered to and addressed. And it was in that time that I joined the church in Beirut, Hamra, um, almost three years ago. Um, and many, many stories have happened there. If you want to show some of the photos, um, one, one night two years ago, I was uh, on the street with some friends, and in Lebanon, it's, it's very 
come and you can preach on the street. Your, your life isn't in danger if you do so. Your, um, your ego might be, but your life isn't in danger. And uh, we meet this guy. His name is Bashar. Um, he says he's had a rough, rough life, and he was thinking of ending his life. And we invited him over. I invited him over to my house with a couple of friends. We, Domino's was closed, so there was no pizza. We, we grilled some chicken in my fridge, and we ate, and, and we just listened to him. For 45 minutes, he was speaking and ranting and complaining. I barely understood what he said, but he ended it by saying, why are you listening to me? I said, because I think Jesus listened to me, and he will listen to you as well. I told him, tomorrow we have a Sunday service at church. If you'd like to come, this is the address. I didn't expect he would be there, but uh, he did show up. And he was there sitting, listening, and he um, came up to me after and told me, um, at this point in the day, I would usually be as high as a kite, but uh, this is a different kind of high at this moment that I'm sitting here in church. And he's become part of the community. Pastors, uh, Pastor and April have taken him up as their son almost, and uh, he's, he's part of what we're doing. A few years ago, I met a young Syrian refugee couple, uh, and they, I began to talk to them, uh, just establish a relationship with them, and they expressed interest in knowing more about Christianity, so, uh, and agreed to read the gospel with me. So uh, we began this process of reading together, and eventually they became believers, and in fact, when we returned to Beirut, they are, in addition to others, planning on being baptized at the end of this year, so we're thankful for that. Uh, when we were talking about their step of baptism, uh, I asked them, so what would your families think if they found out that you got baptized? And she said, well, my family won't be too upset because we're not very religious anyways, but it's gonna be a big problem for him. If his father knows, if his brother knows, it could be a really big problem for him and his family. These are the types of, of obstacles that people coming to faith all around the world must face, which they really weigh the consequences of their decision to step out and follow Jesus Christ. And when someone does that, and they step out of this family that was their identity, we have to be the family that they can step into. Because if they step out, they're stepping out into a void, into a vacuum. Who's going to take care of them? And they sense in us a community, a family, that when they step out of this, they're stepping into a bigger family. They're stepping into a group of people who love them just as any other family would love them. And that's the power of the gospel. It brings this unity, as we've been talking about, uh, to people who are making life-changing decisions. Yes, and um, we, have a, we have a young minister in our church who's very active and always preaching, and sometimes in odd ways. Um, but uh, two, three weeks ago, he went to a Dunkin' Donuts. Yay, Dunkin'. <laughs> and he saw a guy there, and he said, you know, it's Sunday. In one hour, we have a church. Would you like to go? Um, the guy was called Omar. He's from a Muslim background. He was interested. He j they just walked five minutes to the church. Um, and he sat down among a group of 12 people, listening, singing worship songs in Arabic, uh, listening to Pastor Lyle preach in Arabic. <laughs> and, um, and at the end of it, he, he came up to us and he said, um, 
how come there are so many Muslims in this meeting? I thought I'd come to church and I'd fight Christians, but everyone's called Muhammad, Ahmed, Omar. Why are they all here? And uh, for him, it was mind-boggling because faith, religion is identity. It's not something that you engage with um, personally. But he saw a group of people who were revolving and centering around Jesus and discussing faith. And they had made their decisions to be part of this church. And likewise, uh, the group of us, we met up uh, a week later for a, for a men's breakfast. We were sitting there, around eight of us, nine of us, and um, there was no two people who had the same background or nationality. There was no two people in that group who came from the same religious background and upbringing, the same socioeconomic background and upbringing, the same um, diversity of thought and kind of work and nationality. We were just sitting there, and the only thing that centered us was Jesus in the center, and, and the food, but I mean, Jesus <laughs> liked the food. So it was a unity that is unheard of. Different people sitting together and, and discussing faith um, and coming at it from their background. These identities are difficult to change, as you know. It's hard for us to reconsider what our identity is. The older we get, the more difficult it becomes. We have one man in our congregation who's been coming now for about a year who's not yet a believer, now we're praying for him. Uh, the first time that he ever heard the gospel was when he came uh, to our church meeting. And afterwards, I went out and I spoke to him, uh, Hassan, and I said, so uh, what did you think about what we did today? We were talking about uh, John the Baptist from Mark chapter 1. He said, well, I've heard some things about John the Baptist, but I didn't know the whole story. So it was really very interesting. And I said, had you ever read anything in the Gospels before? And he said, no, this was the first time I've ever read anything in the Bible. 75 years old. And he's been with us now for a year. And he comes consistently. And the Lord is working in his heart. No matter how long we walk a particular pathway, God can transform us. He can change us. What it requires is people like you and me stepping out and opening an opportunity, making a place that's comfortable, and saying, you can come here and find what you're looking for, and find a people who will encourage you in that journey. I think you've seen that here. The stories that we've shared, you could share similar stories here at Cape Cod Church, I'm sure. Uh, your commitment to step into our ministry at a time of particular need for us is a testimony to your commitment of the goals of Acts chapter 4, which is to pool your resources and to preach the gospel, not only here in Falmouth, but outside of Falmouth. And our unity as a Christian body is a witness to that. When you do that here at Cape Cod Church, the world around you sees that and says, there's something in, the, in Jesus Christ, there's a power in the resurrection that brings a blessing, as it says, God blessed them all for what they did. God is blessing that group over there, and he's blessing them because they are reaching out to others, because they are open, because they are trying to achieve unity here and abroad. As I said, not all first century churches were able to do this, but some did. And I want you to think 
of what you are trying to achieve here and what your role is here at Cape Cod Church. You have to actively fight the tendency to segregate. I have to actively fight the tendency to segregate. There's something in us, a flaw in us, as human beings that automatically does this. And if we're not careful, we begin to endorse that. And it comes out sometimes in subtle ways, but it can also come out in big ways. And God is going to bless you, and God is going to bless us, and God is going to bless you individually as you begin to and you reaffirm in your life that ministry is about building unity, it's about opening a space for people to come in and explore who is Jesus and what is he doing there and how can I be involved in that? And now that I have become involved in that, how can we as a community extend that involvement and reach out beyond Cape Cod to else other places around the world like Beirut? And I want to thank you for what you're doing and I want to challenge you to keep doing that and keep fighting that in yourself and in this congregation because it's going to come up in different ways. Resist. Trust that as we do this, God blesses, as we've seen in Acts chapter 4, and builds a community that glorifies Him. This past summer, um, I experienced one way that um, segregation comes into our hearts. When I was away from the church for a while, uh, taking a break and thinking through my own troubles, um, God convicted me in the attitude and thinking I had of Cedars, our church back home. Um, looking at texts like Acts 4, I felt, why isn't the Lord adding to our number like he says in Acts? Uh, we're trying to be like this first century church, so why isn't God moving the way he's supposed to, like in Acts? And, and, and all of us here read passages like Acts 4 that we just read, like Acts 2, the description after Peter's speech. And they are descriptions of the early Jerusalem church. And we ask ourselves, um, why is my church not like that? In different ways. Um, what are we doing wrong? That we don't view it the way Acts 4 or Acts 2 says it. I realized in myself that the problem was not the program, but it was my attitude about community. It was the shape of my heart. I was trying to shape community according to my image and complaining about people not getting it right the way I should have told them to do it. And this is my challenge for myself and for you guys. Um, when we read... Jesus' parables, the Gospels, Acts, the New Testament. Do we read it upside down? When we read the stories that mention Jesus and the disciples, do we put ourselves as Jesus and the disciples, or do we put ourselves as the people being ministered to? How do we read the stories? Rather than being a branch that abides in the vine, are we trying to replace the vine so that we shape community, and it community centers around us. We try to shape community around our image and be the center of it, in the middle of it. We say, this is how things should be. This is how it was in the early church. The reality is, the center of the church is God's self. Inhabiting God's people, 
Jesus is the head of the body and we are his bride. Our local expressions of community can only be true when we walk in the light with him. And there is no hidden motives, not even hidden from ourselves. Because we have genuine unity that we are displaying here in our churches, but we have genuine unity and fellowship when we repent and walk in the light as he is in the light. We need to grow in discerning God's hand moving among us and building community around his presence. No matter the program or the structure, God moves in all ways, shapes, sizes, and cultures. We can be described as the first century church having all these practical things differently. But as Jesus said, and as we see today at Cedars and at Cape Cod Church, it is the unity of the body that will make God known to the outside world. For what does the world need? Does the world need gifted men and women outwardly empowered, doing amazing things and building a following? Or does it need broken individuals, inwardly transformed to resemble the love that engulfs the Trinity and that pushes outwards? We need transformed women and men that are willing to cross the boundary, walk the line, cut through the awkward sometimes, and open embracing arms by the power of the Spirit to the other. Amen. We need people who are willing to do that. And only by God's Spirit and by putting God where He's supposed to be and being His creation, who He has adopted us to be children, can we do that. I'd like to pray for you. So let's bow our heads in, in prayer. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your cross. The stumbling block for many has become the cornerstone on which our faith stands. And as we are encouraged by our unity in Jesus, the comfort of his love for us, and as we share in the spirit of compassion, let us all be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Help us to do nothing out of selfish ambition, but rather in humility value others above ourselves. Looking each one of us for the interest of others around us, taking up Jesus' example, who had equality with God, but considered it nothing and died on a cross and was raised for our salvation. We thank you, God, and we love you that you're willing to use us broken people for your kingdom and for your glory, to be your bride, your church. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Church, would you, um, would you stand with me? I, I just want to say how important the message of the unity of Jesus Christ is. That we believe that that the transformation that Christ brings in our life is so profound that it could reach across the most intractable barriers in our world to places we would have never thought it would work. We can see that in our own country, and we can see it around the world, and today we've gotten to see a window of it. What a privilege to support it, and as a church, 
we want to continue in this, but I, I've asked you to stand. We're going to sing in a moment, but I just want to invite you to pray with me. I want to pray for Lyle and April and their family and Pastor George, we want to pray for you as you lead in this place that God would use the power of his testimony in your lives um, to bring witness to that place in ways that you had never imagined. And we would get to share a bit in that story. Uh, church, would you pray with me? Father, our, our own hearts are humbled at the reality of the work of Jesus Christ in us, Father, we haven't always gotten it right. We live in such a divided world, Father, and it feels easier just to put up our fists and fight it out. And Father, we're reminded in your word that, that Jesus Christ in us changes us and it gives us a love for the other that is unexplainable. And so we pray this for Lyle and April, for their family, and they serve in this place. Father, open doors for them. Give them every resource that they need. Give them the joy of your presence in their lives at every moment. For our young friend beginning to lead in the church, Pastor George, Father, I just pray that you would pour into his soul the wisdom that he needs. And Father, you would add to that wisdom courage as a leader. And then Father, in every place where he runs up against the end of himself that you would show yourself powerful. You would provide, you would work through him, that you and your spirit and your work would come through his life powerfully. That the name of Jesus Christ would draw people through the testimony of his followers to follow you, Jesus, the Messiah. We pray this together as a church in Jesus' name.